swap with someone. And uh, first question is, according to Adams, what is the distinction between edificational and evangelistic preaching? Is it A or B? It is B, yeah. In evangelistic preaching, the gospel is dominant. In edificational preaching, the focus is on the implications of the gospel for the lives of believers. Uh, I think this is key. Um, the idea of a Christ-centered message. He doesn't get into this as much as like Brian Chapel does in his book called Christ-Centered Preaching. But the important thing to remember about the element or the purpose of the gospel, it has to show its face in the message in some way. And what I mean by that is that if you're... If your message is, I'm trying to think of a good example. What's my preaching on or teaching on? Give me, give me some. Daniel. Daniel. Okay, so we have Daniel chapter 2, right? Mm-hmm. And Daniel, what, what's your basic idea behind Daniel 2? Is that he, he like trusts God and... Well, obviously his faith. Um, okay, so... God revealing King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Faith, God reveals dreams. Yeah, if he doesn't, he doesn't. Okay. Okay, this is a little bit harder, and you gave me a difficult one. Sorry. Uh, that's okay. But the, the, gospel, the gospel message is in its basic, its basic most basic seed is, is that we do not save ourselves, that God saves us. And it's that faith in God, not works, merit favor with God. And it is no merit, actually merit favor is not really the right way of saying it, that Christ did all that had to be done. So our, when you think about it, if, if your solution to this problem, so the problem would be, you know, we're going to talk about FCFs and problems presented, but the solution to your problem, the answer to your difficulty, the kind of what you want to leave people going home with is not, is not just do better. Okay? You don't want to just say, well, just be a better person. You know, lie less. Tell the truth more. Be more moral. Be a nicer sister or brother. You know, that, that's not the point. The point is, and we say it, uh, it's been said several different ways throughout this, but you're, where is God's grace necessary to do this, what he's calling you to do? And that's why there is some element of because God does this or because of this, it's something, you know, you're, you're bringing in God's grace and God's mercy but specifically his grace, which is another way of saying God's enabling power, the gospel message, which teaches us that we are not enough, that we need God's empowering to do what he has called us to do, is important. You think about your application through the gospel message. And so notice both edificational and evangelistic have the gospel in it. The edificational is the gospel lived out. The Evangelistic is the gospel believed or the gospel call, like the event, like calling someone to believe the gospel for the first time. So I may have gone a little bit upstream where we are now, but we'll get back to it. So don't don't belabor that. I just this is an important idea as we're getting as we're getting closer to it. Okay. Number two, what is the what is one of the main responses to the gospel identified by Adams in chapter twelve? Baptism. Yeah, baptism. They believed and were baptized. Now. Adams is not a uh, Baptist, and so he actually believes in sprinkling. Well, can I ask something? Go ahead. What's his take on infant baptism? I mean, his whole... He's pro-infant baptism. Yeah, his... his, um, The way he laid it out, though, I mean, it was really clear that baptism, it's believer's baptism. I mean, every verse that he cited. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he, I, think he was over, I think he was pretty broad. In fact, he kind of throws in this little phrase. It's like, if you want more information about baptism, read my book. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And the reason he does that is that really the book that we're reading today is, is very broad. It's for basically anyone who calls themselves a believer. He's not going to get really in the weeds on little details like that. And I think this is his way of addressing it but not addressing it, as in saying, if you want to know more, read my other book. And that one really talks about pedo-baptism. Yeah, it's like, kind of like MacArthur. You know, he's a lordship guy, but he writes right. to a much broader... Right. He's not gonna, it's not going to be drug in, dragged into every single one of his... You know. So, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too worried about his mode of baptisms per se. I think, he's, I think his focus is right, though. I think his basic idea that, like, so we... The, then let me ask a question. Why do you think I have people do a little Bible study before I, get them bapti- before I baptize them? Well, what are they? What do you think? Well, first and foremost, that baptism is not a part of uh, receiving the gift of eternal life. Right. It is distinct and separate. Second, it's an act of obedience to show that we've been saved. Right. So the re- yeah. So I'm not doing the the worksheets or whatever with people to like make them prove their salvation, make them prove that they're saved. Like I don't wait to see fruits in a person's life. I'll baptize them as soon as they want to be baptized, really. But the issue with that is, I like people to make sure they understand what they're getting into. Make sure they understand it. Because the, because the thing is, is that some people are uh, based on their background or whatever, they might have a wrong idea that somehow baptism like makes them saved yeah. or baptism, whatever. Okay, so that is my take on that. Is I do believe that it's good to do a little bit of vetting, but I do it in a Bible study way. And I don't, I don't think it's right to, um, to intentionally delay people be baptized. I think calling people to baptism is a good thing. Because it is a public demonstration of what's going on in your heart. Um, number three, is it appropriate? It is appropriate to invite listeners to remain. Sorry. Is it appropriate to invite listeners to remain after the message has been preached to discuss spiritual matters? Yes. Yes, of course it is. Yes. Hope nobody put no there. How far in advance does Adam recommend preparing? Six months. Six months. <laughs> I meant I kind of threw... I, Mentioned this to you guys earlier. Okay, so what short answer? What do you think about Adam's suggestion regarding preparation? I, anything you write there is fine as long as you put some words that make sense. I'm not going to count it wrong. But what what was your guys' take on on what he's saying? Very interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like I mean what what I just what I put down is I mean the idea behind it seems good. But I just feel like. I don't know, I feel like with how what you talk about when you're prepping for the whole week, it's like you feel really close like in this message. Yeah. Because I feel like if it's six months and you're coming back to it, it's almost like you're preaching someone else's message. Yeah, that's that's how it feels. And I think you're right. I think he, he he's got he's got the right idea. And I think again he's he's writing to a writing to a culture of preachers in this time frame, eighties, nineties, when a lot of preaching is very shallow and a lot of preaching was they call them Saturday night specials. You know, it's like you go the whole week and I understand how it happens as a pastor. If you don't carve out time, if you don't make, if you don't make special time, like for you think all I do is sit around and read my Bible, you're wrong. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in a a pastor's life. I wish I could. That'd be great. If I had nothing to do, but read my Bible and prepare for messages, that would be great. But I don't, I think you lose touch with people and then you, and your messages end up becoming too, 
you know, esoteric and completely disconnected from the regular person, if you're not, if you're not talking to people, if you're not counseling people, if you're not working with people. And for all of his faults, Adam was a great counselor. Adams was a good counselor. And he loved people and he loved to work with people. And he was very much like, he pushed pastors. He's like, you need to be talking to people in your office, like helping people through problems. That's a way of making sure you understand how to apply the scripture properly. So I gave you two handouts. You see there's a Excel sheet. It looks like this. Um, I think I gave you, I forget what year, maybe 20. Oh, one year was 2021 and one year is 2020. This is um, my sermon prep schedule. You'll see what a year looks like filled out. You can turn it back in. Yeah. I just kind of want to show you how I do things. Um, this is a completed year. So here's my sermon plan. I have everything from 2017 to the present. So I can tell you, this is how it started out like this. This was my 2017, 2018. And then I started just making it more and more complicated. So this is 2020 right here. Thank you very much. You'll notice that we had some stuff. We had to make changes because of COVID here, but that's, I didn't really do the Sunday evening stuff. This is Sunday morning here. And you'll notice a couple things this is the date, the sermon number, the number in the series. So like, for example, there are 10 sermons in Titus that I did. Uh, there were 32 sermons in second Corinthians. Um, so here was the passage I read at the beginning of the service, the title of the message, the general theme, the closing song. They're all there. I keep track of that stuff so that I don't repeat myself or whatever. It's just, it's helpful to look back. But if you look at 2021, You'll notice that some of it is filled out, some of it's not. The, I already planned all of my, my sermons through the year, including the dates I'm not going to be preaching on Sunday morning, which are marked out because of vacation or because of whatever. Um, missions conference I will be preaching. It's just not going to be on my normal thing. And then, so I'm preaching through First Peter, and I know I'm going to have 17 messages in First Peter. And I know these are my sections, and I think that's what I'm going to do. I have some flexibility. I can, if I get to a message that week, and I'm like, ah, I really need more material, I can dip into the next section. But right now, that's my plan. And um, that helps me a lot, because I can look forward. I can see exactly when Mother's Day is going to fall. I know when Father's Day is coming. I know when our missions conferences, I know Christmas messages. I know Easter is here. I've got two, I got three, I got several weeks here before I start getting into Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So I do believe in preparing or, or um, in scheduling and doing some general reading and general study, but I don't think it's wise for me to do a complete sermon six months out. I, I, it seems like it kind of keeps also the Holy Spirit from. Yeah, that was my yeah it could, it could, it could do a little bit of you're taking too much in your own hands. Yeah, you're not trusting in God enough to, in the Spirit of God to, to move. And then another thing, too, is it's, it's like if you're so immersed into a passage that's six months from now, and then you get to Sunday and you preach on a completely different text, mm-hmm. it's just like, it just, seems, it just seems so strange. Like, how do you get, like, yeah. you just immerse yourself in a whole week of prep for a different sermon, and then you're preaching something else? Like, that just seems... So I, and Charles, you're going to say something? I kind of got the idea, though, that he would um, plan his messages and, and outline them, but not necessarily um, prepare 
the entire sermon with application and illustration. That's that. yeah, that's possible. Um, I know that the people who generally do this. It's a skeleton, but not, yeah. I, you have to do a lot of exegesis before you get into your, as you can tell, you guys are doing a lot of exegesis, which is that initial plowing work, before you can even get to a skeleton. But that's just a good formula for Bible study anyway. So. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm not saying that, I guess, what, I guess what I'm saying is there are a lot of good things in what he's saying. I don't want to just be like, oh, this is unreasonable and totally toss it out. Because what you can do is you can plan ahead. And you know, like, I know I'm going to do several weeks of Psalms. I'm going to do three weeks a life of worship and psalms. I haven't picked those out yet, but I can start to think about how I'm going to do that now. And um, I can start thinking about my Christmas stuff. I can know when things are going to fall. At one point, I thought my Mother's Day sermon was going to be on 1 Peter 3, 1-7. I thought it was going to fall around the same time frame, which has to do with women and husbands and wives. And I was like, oh, that would be nice. But then by the time everything kind of sh- shook out, it didn't work that way. So I want to show you this. I want to show you kind of what I do, just so you know. I'm not, it's not perfect. I mean, I probably will develop this over time, and things will change. It's just where I am now. This is how I do it, in case you're curious. I gave you another screenshot of how I organize. People have asked me this many, many times, and they say, how do you organize your messages? Well, let me show you how it looks. And I gave you two different pictures. One is a picture of my sermon's note files. So I do it all on computer, so I keep everything on computer. I do all my study in OneNote and on paper. But I do my, um, my sermon writing on my computer. And this is, I number my sermons. Okay, so if you ever start preaching or teaching a lot, let me recommend that you number your sermons or number your, your, your things. And the reason why is because I can't think of any other way that, that works efficiently. Because if you do it by book, then you've got, I mean, it just gets confusing. Because I just, just trust me on this. Numbering, it works really well. And then what you do is, is as you number your messages, you also put, I also put them in my Bible. So in my Bible next to Titus, I have 111. I should have given you a picture of that too, what it looks like. But I'll put, I'll put the number to, of this message in the margin of my Bible so that I know when I'm coming back, oh yeah, I preached a message on this. It was number 69 Q or whatever. And you're like, what are the letters for? Well, each sermon series is a number. So for example, Titus is 111. And inside Titus, if I open up that book, here's all my Titus messages. Okay. So 111A is the first message out of Titus. 111B is the second one. 111C, 111D, etc. And then I, I, and then I put all my, so my PowerPoint is 111A. There's my PowerPoint for Titus. There's my reading for Titus 1. Oh, Titus 111A reading. There it is. Titus 111a, there's my message. And there's my PowerPoint. It's all together. Okay? It works. I make a different. Every, I used to keep my messages as one part of one long document. So every week I'd start a new page. But that became a burden for me. For some reason, it just became a problem. And so I start, a new, I start fresh every single week with a brand new Word document. And that has worked really well. I mean, everybody's different. But this way... I can go to my thing here and I can cite them. I can say, okay, this is hymn, I mean, hymn number. This is sermon number whatever. And actually, I didn't do it here recently, did I? I did it and I need to go back and, and mark those. But I usually mark them down. You see here, 112J, HI, 112I, 112G, 112F. So that's what I do is I normally give you, and so my Christmas sermons are 115. 
this past year, 115 A, B, and C. At 113 was my um, was my uh, missions conference sermon. So you get the idea. And, and, and this this is just in a really, 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 really helpful way of doing it. And um, I've shown this with a lot of people, and it has really been a blessing to them. And so let me just challenge you. If you get to the point where you start doing a lot of these things, um, just number them. And then you can reference them. So the other thing I'll do is if I, um, if I uh, preach a message again, which I've done before, I'll name it twice. So it'll have like one. Oh. So I preached a, I did some parables. And one of my parables was a message I preached out of Luke before. Or part of it was. And so I know I'm taking too much time on this. I'm sorry. But I, I, think, I figured this might be a little bit helpful if you ever do this kind of stuff. Um, 109 is parables. There it is. So here you go. 109B, 69L. So 69 was my Luke series. So 109B was also partially 69L. And then here's another one, 69J. 109G, 69J. So it, had, it, was, it was preached first 69J, but I changed it enough and I adapted it enough that it was kind of another message, but it was based on 69J. And if I do it again and if I change it again, um, I'll, rena- I'll add another number on the front of it. it just, it's just a way of keeping track of stuff. Because trust me, when, you preach, uh, when you're a pastor, you preach a lot of messages and you, you're like, I feel like I've preached this before. I have, re- I have written outlines before. I labored over outlines and realized I preached this message before. I go back and I find its exact same outline. I'm not kidding. I've done that before. I'm like, I knew I'd preached this before. <laughs> and so now I've, I've, I've become much more aware of that and try very hard to keep track of that. Okay? Anyway, that's that. I, I just thought that would be somewhat interesting or helpful to you. Okay? And you can keep that. Whatever. All right, let's talk through uh, your um, stuff today about application. Um, uh, let's talk through exegetical outlines and thesis. Now, some, many of you emailed me this week over your questions about, um, about this. Now, do you, how do you feel about your exegetical outlines and exegetical thesis slash propositions? Yes, no, good, bad, like horrible I wouldn't say awful, but I feel like I fully understand what you were doing. Kinda. Yeah. Probably should have taken it's some. It's okay, but you're gonna look at it and be horrified. <laughs> <laughs> it might keep you up at night. It, it won't. It won't keep me up. Okay. So the difference. I almost. I almost called you crying. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first one, right? <laughs> so. So an exegetical outline, you're basically writing, you're saying, okay, what it is. Okay, it's descriptive. Of the text, of the passage itself. So you're going to speak in the past tense. All right? Whereas a homiletical, homiletics just means preaching. So in a homiletical outline, you're saying um, what you, congregation, should do. Okay? Your focus turns into the application part. And how, remember, you're preaching, the, you're preaching about the congregation. Remember he talked about this? The, the difference between a lecturer 
and a preacher, you're preaching about people almost through the text, through the Bible. You're sharing with people how they should change. Whereas with an exegetical, all I'm asking you to do is kind of say, okay, here's what the text says. Here's what's going on. And a lot of you did a good job with your um, block outlines, and you kind of had a good basis for your exegetical. I hope you didn't change too much or go too far afield from where you were there. But, and then, so this is the past, this is the present. And this is all about, instead of a description of the text, this is exhortations, really. And, and the issue a lot of people have is they, is they start with this. They'll say, oh, I know what I want to preach. I want to preach that people should start to pray. Okay, but, but I want you to focus first on, on this part, which is what does it say? So that's all I was getting to. And I, I sent you guys a couple of examples over email. Some of you all asked me. And I sent you, there were a couple examples in your notes. Yeah. Um, let me show you uh, what those were. They were here, number seven on page, well, it's three for me. I guess it's page three for you. So in 2 Timothy 4, the witnesses to the charge... The content of the charge, what, preach the word, when, when popular, when not, how, the reason for the charge. You see, it's pretty straight, pretty simple. It's not super complicated. And the exegetical thesis, by the way, thesis and proposition mean the same thing. So thesis, proposition, or big idea. I don't usually use that term big idea, but a guy named by the name of Haddon Robinson um, really popularized this idea of a sermon having one big idea. So there's that. Um, uh, if you go to this page, page 32, I think, something like that, under part one, outline what the text is. You see that? So here's your proposition. I highlighted this for one of the students who asked me what, what I was talking about. I'm going to unhighlight it now. And this is a much more complicated outline. This is an outline I did for a seminary class. And notice my proposition is extremely convoluted because all I try to do is I'm trying to fit everything that happens in that proposition. Exegetical proposition is the, basically what happens in this, in this um, story here. Um, and then my, my beats, uh, the, the, the movements here are, you know, kind of major story movements. So another one from Acts 12 is another story. Exegetical proposition and outline. So you notice how they're all, like, Peter meets the believers who've been praying for his release. So we're in the then. Okay? We're not in the now. We're in the then. All right. Any, any questions on what I asked you to do? Any, anything? Kind of makes sense? So let's talk about um, this unit three here. Oh, where are we? Go back to... No, not Unit 3. Um, here we go. Let's talk about this. Understand the passage, Part 3. Right, we haven't gotten to this, have we? I mean, we... I think we started talking about it right now. The timely? Did you fill in the... Uh, we got some rules. Good. <laughs> Okay, so when we move here um, from the timely, from the time bound to the timeless to the timely, okay, 
The timely is what we're talking about here, the what it means to me part. The then to the always to the now is one way of, of putting that in. And I think some of those, uh, some of you might need to write in some notes there. What, what, is, what does it say then? What are we talking about? You know, the always um, and to the now. And then as we go from that, what, how do we get from exegetical to homiletical? How do we get, the big question is, okay, anybody can do, it, can do this. In fact, even an unsafe person can do this. Okay, even an unsafe person can say, what does the text say? I get, this might shock you, but some of, some of the good commentaries that I have in my office, some of, the, some of the good commentaries that I have read in the past are, are you, I'm sorry, are you guys, you, got, you found what you're looking for? 42. Page 42. So, okay. Are written by people who are unbelievers, whether they're Jews. I'm sorry, we guys... Are we, are we on the same page? I feel like I'm confusing you guys. We were here, understanding the passage part three. My next page isn't the same as yours. You don't have this? No. no. I think, oh, that was, I think for us it's... Uh, I mean, at least it's we, not the next page. I mean, I see a humble yeah. preaching outline, but it's... Oh, yeah. I think it was the one you were playing, page 47. Page 43. Yeah, Do you have anything that says moving from exegetical to homiletical? You should have something in there that says moving. 30 what? 38 on mine. That's good. Yeah, that's it. 38. 38. Mm-hmm. Mine goes from 39 down to 10. Mine goes 36 to 39. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. You don't have it? You should have, I, I, this was part of the original stuff I gave you when you came in early. So I'd be happy to print more copies, but I think you probably have it in your notebook somewhere. <laughs> I added some stuff at one point. Did you take it out accidentally? Yeah, so if you look for this, this picture here, you see this picture? And go back, like one page. Did you take it out? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so who needs? All right, so let's let's do some. Who needs it? We need to get some people printed. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. Well, not everybody. Let me see. Let's hide the ink here. Let's print. So, who, so we one, two. Let's go down here. Okay. I'm sorry. I guess I guess you took out more than you were supposed to, right? Is that what you did? It's okay. Uh, 42. Oh, man, you shouldn't have done it that way. I will do it this way. So 41. I know these pages are still out of whack. but So you don't have this, you don't have that. You don't have this right here that says the blank, what it means to me? Yeah, I have that because it was on the new one. But you don't have that. Yeah. Kevin, you said you had this one? Uh, yeah. It should be on the back. Is it on the back of that? Nope. No, it's a different one. Oh, okay. oh, keep going then, because, hang on, let me see your, whoever listens to this uh, recording is going to be so confused. Yeah. Okay, okay so keep going. That. Yeah, preaching. Oh, yeah, you are missing. Did you take it out? 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're missing it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let me just print. Again, I apologize, guys. I next time I'll just do it week by week. I really thought I was saving time by doing it this way, but all right. How many do we need? Three. One, two, three. And we'll do them long edge. And. Uh, We'll add it to the, I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about it a little bit. And when she comes back, you'll be able to fill in your notes. Okay. I'll save that. Um, so when we talk about the main difference between exegetical outline and a homiletical outline is application becomes central for the homiletical outline. So I have a quote there in this, all doctrine is practical. And all practice must be based on sound doctrine. Doctrine that is not practical is not healthy doctrine. And practice that is not doctrinal is not rightly based. I love that. That's really good. It's from Charles Ryrie. Um, doctrine is workable. If you're preaching doctrine and you're like, I don't know how this applies to anybody, it might not be right doctrine. Or it's, um, it might not be, uh, you might not have thought it through properly. So all doctrine should apply? All doctrine is practical. It has some practical basis. And, and you might be thinking, I can probably think of a doctrine that's not practical. Okay, well then, is it important? There is a practicalness to the scripture. Hey, Donna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's good to see you. Um, do you have this page in your notebook? See if you can find it. I, we're, we're having people having trouble finding this page. It's like a, it's like a mysterious, um. see if you can find it. Um, so what I want to kind of talk about for a minute, no, it's not in the worksheets. It's uh, like towards page like 43. Yes. It should be like page 38. Yeah. Page 38. That's the one that we got Look on the back. No, it's on the old one. It's in the old book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that diagram I do over and over again. Keep going back. Keep going back. Oh, here you go. Here you go. There it is. It's right here. So we're right here right now. Yeah, perfect. And what page is that on yours? 40. I tell you, everybody has their own version. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. It's my fault. I apologize. All right, so um, this is an important idea because we're going to talk about the FCF. The FCF is, the, uh, is an important thing. We're going to talk about it a lot uh, for the next couple weeks. And that is, it, it stands for the fallen condition focus. This is not original with me. Uh, it comes from a book uh, by Brian Chappell, or Brian Chappell, I don't know how you say his name, uh, called Christ-Centered Preaching. And the basic, basic idea is this, is that the Bible is given to us, the scripture is given to us, in order to perfect us, in order to not, not, you know, in order to mature us in our Christian walk, therefore, Scripture is there for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, just like it's promised. Therefore, every passage has something that it's addressing about the Christian's life. That have had that passage not been there, there would be something missing. Okay, there'd be something that we would need that we wouldn't have. The Bible is complete and sufficient, and so your job is to come to the is come to is get to your passage and say what is this passage addressing about my fallen condition? When I say fallen condition, I'm talking about your affectedness by sin, 
What is it about your sinful nature that this passage is addressing that I need God's grace to obey? Um, so some of this is talked about in your worksheets, which we'll, which we'll look at the end of this lecture. I'll talk a little bit about that. But FCF is important. So it clarifies the purpose behind your message. That's the blank there. The purpose behind your message is clarified when you understand what your FCF is. And every one of my messages, I strive to have some kind of FCF. Um, if I can show you how that, how that works. Uh, I guess I can pull one up here. This is a dangerous thing. What was last week's? Um, uh, FCF. Look at that. Sometimes when we Christians begin to realize the world hates us, the world opposes us, we can question whether this is really what we signed up for. We got saved. Is the pressure worth it? That's kind of what I was going for for my FCF. That's not a great FCF. That's really wordy. <laughs> your, ideally, ideally, your FCF is very, very... Um, terse. It's, it's, it's to the point. Um, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, but the proposition on the other hand, so this is one aspect, the FCF. Now a proposition and another word for proposition is theme. Um, thesis. It's all the same. Big idea. Gives the answer to the FCF. Okay, so whatever your proposition is ought to answer the problem that you present in your FCF. So when you're teaching or preaching, you, you've got to communicate to the people why they need to listen to what you're about to say. And if you start listening carefully, uh, when I preach, you'll always hear something like that. I'll say something like, you know, a lot of Christians struggle to figure out what's, why this happens or you know, and when I was talking about here, we, we wonder if this is really what we signed up for. Well, then I described there are three anchors of truth is how I described that hold our ship steady. And I described the three points were those three anchors of truth that steady us in times of turmoil. That's how I kind of described last week's message. And your message will have some sort of proposition that, that answers this problem. So, um, and it forms this big idea or the main point of your message. Now, the outline should flow from this thesis or proposition. So your outline flows naturally from, and I just listed a bunch of stuff here. You, these should either be like proofs of your proposition. Uh, oh, you know what? I just printed them. I realized nobody wanted to go get them. I assumed Christy was going to go grab them. She wanted to go get the kids, didn't yeah, she? she did. do you, Kevin, do you mind running and grabbing those off the printer? I'm sorry. I realized you still were sitting here without... In what way? Um, do the proposition first, FCF second. Well, yeah, but then like, because you said... I gave, you haven't done a proposition yet. You've done an exegetical proposition. You haven't done a sermonic proposition. <laughs> well, it's okay, I'm something. in the same boat. You okay. Something. You said something. So, outline should flow. <clears throat> okay, let me back up. When we talk about exegetical and homiletical, this is all preparation for this. Okay, all the stuff we've done like so far has been preparing us to then move into the how do we preach this passage? Okay, we know what it says. We know how it's structured. We know how we can outline it. We can say what it says, but how do you get to the point where you say what it means to me? And the way you do that is you first 
you've done all your exegesis, we're assuming that you've done all that, that you know what the passage is saying. From all that, you should be able to determine two things. One, what is, your, what is this passage here for? What falling condition is it addressing? You don't have to know how the, pass- how the sermon is going to be preached. Like You don't have to know all the ins and outs. You don't have to know the outline, really, or the, really anything other than what problem is this addressing. And that becomes pretty apparent, I think, as you read it. Like, what are you convicted about when you read it? It's a simple question to ask. And then the proposition is what you develop that summarizes the main point slash argument of the entire passage. Okay? So your proposition answers the problem that's presented by your FCF. I know I'm throwing a lot of like acronyms at you, but do you want me to say it a different way? If you like. Am I making any sense or do should I say it one more time a different way? Okay, yeah, so your points, your outline, okay, so here, we, now we talk about homiletical outline. Okay, when I say homiletical, I mean your preaching outline. Your preaching outline is going to flow from your, from your main, from your proposition in this way. It's either going to be proofs of the proposition, evidences for it, examples of it, results of it, purposes of it, something like that. This is based on your structure, absolutely. Okay, but these have to be related. For example, your main idea can't be um, because God answers prayer, we must come to him in prayer or something like that. And then your point one is God loves the humble. Point two, give, give of your tithes. Point three, be nice to your brother. Hey, hey, wait, what, what do those things have to do with this? You know, either you're at that point, if that's what the text is saying, that's what the Bible's saying, and that's what you're preaching then your proposition is not right because you're, pre- you're, you're, you're trying to make it say something it's not. Your proposition and your outline should be connected is what I'm trying to say. Okay? They I think sh- your main question was, because like obviously we start by figuring out what the text says, yeah. and then we're jumping in to the proposition and getting the answer before we get to the question. Um, so the FCF you develop, okay. So what you've... So, yeah, there's something that he said that it sounded like it was that, like we're pulling right. something from something we hadn't done. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the outline, yeah, we haven't done the, we haven't done any of this yet. We haven't done the FCF. We haven't done the proposition. We haven't done the thesis, proposition, theme, whatever. We haven't done the sermonic outline. All we've done is the spade work, the exegesis. We've done all the digging, the plowing, the, the, all that part where we're, we've, we've studied all this the first the arrow, the big arrow thing I draw a bunch of times, that what it means, or what it, what it meant, what it means, what it means to me. We've basically stayed in this first bottom left corner where what it meant. Now we're moving into, okay, what it means. Okay, we're moving into that interpretation. We talked about contextualization last week a little bit, how to understand what it means. And we're, at, we're asking ourselves in this, in this question, what following condition does this address? Let me finish this, and then we'll go to the worksheets, because that might actually address some of your things. So... When you're outline, when you're doing your outline of your proposition, let me just finish this part. Some of it will be like proofs, evidences. Really, these are just kind of things I came up with off the top of my head. This is not inspired list. This is like sometimes I'm giving a message and what I'm doing are examples of my, of my theme, proposition. Sometimes they're the results of believing the theme. Sometimes they're purposes for it, etc. Okay. Now, 
When you're applying, I mentioned this a little bit last week, you have to be careful how specific you want to apply. As you, as you become more abstract, you have to, as you abstract out, as you get further away from the biblical text. That's the only thing I was trying to describe with that picture. I hope that. Could you give an example of like, when you say abstract? Sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, well, it, it, it's uh, so the idea of um, we talked about last week with the parapet around the house. Okay, you build a parapet around the house. I'm going to abstract out from that and say you need to protect yourself against being a pro, uh, causing your brother to unintentionally hurt himself while he's in your care. Okay, that is that is an abstracted out from a law in the Old Testament. The actual law has to do with building a parapet. That's what the actual text says. That's what the, that's what the, 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 the if I was going to stay very close to the text, like for example, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Okay. Literally, that's saying when you are like in the court of law, when you're testifying, you're not to point at him and say, hey, he stole a candy bar. I saw him do it. That's, that's, that's violating the ninth commandment. But you know what else is violating the ninth commandment? Lying on your taxes. Mm -hmm. Is that technically the same thing as, as bearing false witness? No, it's not the same thing. But it's, it's a lie, and, and we're, we're abstracting out. We're saying, okay, this is, the reason this is a problem is because it's a lie. But then you have questions like, okay, what about Rahab's lie? If lying is always wrong, then why was Rahab blessed for her lie? See, the line is not always wrong. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but there, there, is, there is an element to which there is some, she lied, by, by lying, she demonstrated her faith. Whoa, you know. But so what I'm saying is, is that you, you abstract by saying, okay, lying is wrong. And, but as you get away from the, what the text actually says, in other words, you, 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 you see what I mean by abstract out? You're saying, you're getting away from the details and you're saying, okay, what this kind of means, you have to be a little less like dogmatic, be more gentle. Yeah. You have to be like, there are things that you can't be as like thou shalt. The, the, the burden of preaching the Bible is that, is that you are preaching God's word and you are saying thou shalt, thou shalt not. And you have the authority of God. When you are, as, you know, as God's authority is in the scripture, it's with you. When you say, when you are consistent with God's word, that authority is there. Um, so that's what I'm saying is that some, some pastors will say things, they'll, they'll, they'll treat everything like a thou shalt, you know, go to movies. No, flee worldliness. Okay. Well, implication of worldliness is perhaps watching ungodly movies, but that's an implication that's abstracted out from not being worldly or not loving the things of the world. That is not a direct command in scripture. Therefore, we have to be a little bit understanding of people who don't see it our way. Whereas, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery is pretty black and white. Right? right? Don't commit adultery. So anyway, uh, that's what I meant by that. Now, let's go to our worksheets because I think this will kind of help us a little bit. If you go back, way back in section one, into your worksheets, and I, I'm sorry I'm throwing so much stuff at you. I, this is really, I'm trying to give you as much as you, as you need to know without. 
Section two, sorry. Section one's the information. Section two is the... Oh, so many sections. So worksheet one. So we, uh, this is a, a series of worksheets I gave the youth group back when I was youth pastor, and so I've developed them and then kind of kept... Um, so you'll find some stuff that's repeated here, and that's fine. Don't be surprised by that. So one of your great... Number two. One of your greatest challenges is to decide why God put this passage in the Bible. When I say decide, I don't mean like you have the final word. I just mean you're trying to discern. Maybe discern is better. I'm going to go ahead and change that now. Uh, What about the human condition, our fallen nature, does this passage specifically address? So here's a quote from the book. The fallen condition focus is the mutual human condition that contemporary believers share with those to or about whom the text was written. Okay, right there. Let's stop for a second. You and I are a people... The people in the Bible were people. We are very much like them. Okay, people today are like, oh, we're so much more advanced than ancient man. Baloney. We are human, human people do not change. Okay, humankind does not change. There, as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. People are people. And the more, we were talking about classic literature, the more you read classic literature from the past, even ancient literature, you'll find people are people. Right? And, and so we have a mutual weakness. The people in the Bible have the same weakness as we have. The Bible tells us that there is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. Okay? So we share something. So don't assume that we're different. Um, what is it we share w- uh, with the text? Okay, that requires the grace of this passage for God's people to glorify and enjoy him. So how can we do, what is this, why is this passage necessary? Why would another way of thinking about this, if this passage was not in the Bible, what would we be missing? Okay. So try to try to state this in a complete sentence. Try to use complete sentences. I'm a big fan of that. Um, And then a couple questions to check and see how you did. Does your statement address a legitimate, somewhat universal problem in a specific or vivid way? So... Last week, it was all about, you know, my message was all about, um, you know, you get, you realize people hate you as a Christian. You wonder, is, is this really what I signed up for? Um, that, that, that's a, I think that's somewhat universal. I think most people have that thought at one point or another. If you have ever been hated before, ever been like despised, um, you might, you might wonder, do I, you know, I like to be liked. Do you like to be liked? Most people like to be liked. Um, but there are things that, like, there are very specific things, like, um, people fear speaking in public. Well, not everybody. Some kids love to get up and just kind of talk, you know? So it's not really universal. Some of you feel like it's universal. Like, everybody, you know, so everyone, you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are certain fears that you might have, and there are certain problems you might experience that not, it isn't necessarily universal, that aren't necessarily universal. Uh, number two, yes or no here is, uh, does your statement contain obvious negatives? Negative. The reason I say that is because if, you're, if your FCF is Christians don't love God enough, well, then what's the answer to your problem? Love God, love God more. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's super easy to solve that problem. So, I mean, it's not easy, but it's easy to see the solution to the problem. Part of preaching is you're hoping... Um, so, so, so here, here's what I said. If, if yes, then rewrite the negative out of the statement. So I give an example. Why do men find it easier to go to the game than go to the Word? 
It's, it's a legitimate question. And it might get people thinking like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's a, why do I enjoy entertaining myself instead of going to God's word? And, and, and the goal, it doesn't always work, but the goal as a teacher, a preacher of God's word is to, is to show people their weakness and their fallen condition to get them lost before you get them saved kind of thing where you're showing people their, their need for what they're about ready to hear. You create that thirst in them and then you show them God's word and the grace of God that solves that problem. And then they can obey God and, and follow him in that direction. So that's what an FCF is. I think you're going to be, I think one of your assignments is to come up with one soon, if not this week. Um, and a propositional statement. So propositional statement, let's look at, let's keep looking at this, is a thesis statement. It's the same. Um, did I give you this additional help description of the FCF? I think I did. You can read that in your own time. Um, how do you get, so how do you get a propositional statement? Th this part of the sermon preparation might take longer than, as, may, may take as much time as like doing a whole outline. You're like, it's just two, two sentences. It's just two. Yes, but this sets the stage for everything else. Because if you don't have a, a your, like I said, your outline flows naturally from your, from your proposition. So your propositional statement is going to be a true statement that ties in two ideas, an exhortation and a truth. Okay, and so I gave you a worksheet on truths and exhortations. This is really for... 2A and 2B is kind of an idea where you can get used to the idea of a truth and exhortation. Do you know what an exhortation is? Exhortation is a command. A truth is not a command. Okay. I gave you a worksheet 2C for you guys in, in um, narratives. Do that. That's your ability. So go to worksheet 3. Here's what, here's what I really want you to do is worksheet one and three, because what you're going to do is you're going to look, especially you guys in um, doing epistles, this is really helpful, is you're going to list your truths and exhortations. Oh, man, we, I don't know if we, we might have to delay this assignment because I don't want to just send you into the wild trying to do this on your own. So you want us to do two... I want you to do worksheet one. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to delay. I'm going to talk for another five minutes on propositions, but we're not going to, I'm not going to make you write it for next week because this is too much. I need, I, need to give, I need to give a little more time. I shouldn't have taken so much time at the beginning. Um, I need to give a little more time to this so I, you guys understand what, what I'm asking you to do. Yes, ma'am. What is the difference between an exegetical thesis and a proposition? So an exegetical thesis is describing, it's a, it's a one-sentence summary statement describing what your passage is about. So what do you do? You're doing Ephesians, right? No. Yes. I did it because we should. Okay, that is a, that is, an, that is this. That's a homiletical proposition. If you're including the because you must or because you should, um, that, is a, that is a homiletical. That's how you preach it. That is not how. That is not describing the what it was. That's not exegetical. I, I know. I know. I see the cross eyes coming at me. 
Um, so when you write a proposition, your basic idea is this. You're trying to... If, I, go ahead. Can I disagree with you, I think? Yeah, go ahead. Because What's up? On your example here, your exegetical thesis, it says, because Christ will hold us accountable, we must always preach. Oh, what is, oh my goodness. I did it too, didn't I? <laughs> That's that's not uh, that is that that should have been. You're you're right. That is that is that was sloppy on my end. So that is. So I I will. <laughs> so I will give grace to. Oh, of course, I give lots of grace. There's this is. Um, remember my. I'm throwing out points here. I'm just giving. Uh, so let me try. To, let me try to be more. Let me try to be more clear. So that was like. Technically, technically, that is a homiletical outline, much more than a prop, than an exegetical outline. Okay, went in that number seven or whatever it was when I did for Second Timothy, Second Timothy four. Yeah, I whipped that up as another example, and I probably should have paid more attention to what I was doing. Um, so, yeah, if you got to empathize with that. So, yes, that that's me jumping. See, here's the other problem: is, is sometimes I jump, I skip steps because I because I've done it millions of times. I'll just. I, I, I skip steps, and I'm trying not to let you guys skip steps. I'm trying to make you walk like every step, so you understand what you're doing at every stage. And could and you could I re? Yeah, uh, let me look at it. So, um, so if I reworded this, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's look at it. Um, oh, it's it's on page what now? It's one of your examples. Yes, this one. Yeah, this is definitely not. This is a. Let's just call that homiletical thesis. Um, And then the exegetical thesis. um, Let's see here. Um, Wait, why did you do slash proposition? You just said they're different things. No, I said they're the same thing. I said a proposition. Oh, no, you're right. Exegetical thesis. Sorry. (laughs) I've been saying thesis, proposition is the same thing. This is the same thing. I know I'm confusing you guys to death. Um, it makes sense to me. I don't know why you're confused. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I, I appreciate you guys because um, this is helpful for me too. I mean, let me think about this. So, um, uh, so Paul, I would say something like Paul gives Timothy three important um, aspects of uh, three important elements, preaching, uh, no, charges, I would say, yeah, charges Timothy with three important elements of preaching, um, why he must preach, uh, what he must preach, and the, uh, I say the 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 theology um, of why he must preach, what he must, uh, you know, and the kinds of opposition he was bound to face. Does that make sense? So Paul charges Timothy with three important elements of preaching: the theology of what he must preach, uh, the doctrine, you know, the the doctrine that he must preach. And the kinds of opposition he's bound to face as he preaches. Okay, that's kind of an exegetical outline. That, because Christ holds us accountable, we must always preach God's word 
or preach God's word God's way, not giving into temptation. We serve changing our message. That is a little bit wordy. I would not preach that. I would, I would say, I would probably, if I was preaching this tomorrow, I would delete this last phrase right here and just say, because Christ will hold us accountable, we must always preach God's word, God's way. That's what, that's how I would (laughs) preach it. But, but we're not there yet. I'm just. So in the exegetical thesis, we would not make reference instead of saying um, we are exhorted to do this or whatever we would say Tim Paul says to Timothy right you're you're in the in the past yeah yeah right you're you're talking about what happened in the past you're you're dealing with what's so you guys have already done that aspect of this of this um Preparation. So I'm not too super concerned about that. All of you seemed to uh, do a good job when I looked over your block outlines. Um, I'm sure that your exegetical stuff is is fine, um, but that that's the idea. And I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I hope this hasn't been too confusing for you. I didn't realize that I was using the that I was doing this right here. Um, I just jumped. I, I skipped a step when I was doing it and jumped straight ahead into the proposition. So when you do an exegetical thesis, you're talking about the then. Right. So right now, I really want you to focus on worksheet one. So let, let's do this. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. For next week, I just want you to focus on your FCF. Okay, that's all I want you to do. I, I don't even know. Do I have a quiz? I'm going to make a call right now. Uh, I'm going to say turn in. Um, we're not going to have a quiz next week. How about that? Just work on your FCF, and next week we will turn in propositional statement. Our 310 will turn in propositional statement, okay? And should we still do the Adam's Do yeah, do the reading, but but you don't. I'm not going to give you a quiz on it because I want to. I want to spend more time. I didn't get enough time talking about what this is. This is a little bit tricky, and I want I want you to have plenty of time to ask questions because I didn't do that tonight, and I apologize for kind of. Shortchanging on that, but uh, but FCF. Does anybody understand what an FCF is? It is the is the mutual human condition that we share with those to whom or about whom the text was written. That without you know we need that we need God's grace to to overcome. It's the problem. Okay. Anything else? Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. So would an SCF for First Corinthians 13 be like we struggle loving like people? Then, like it is a natural for us to love sacrificially opposed to just like it was. Yeah, but but the issue is is that like uh, if you look at that worksheet one that that has an obvious answer to it. So if we struck if the if the FCF is we struggle with loving people like we should, then the answer is love people like you should. Whereas what you really want to do is you want to go into this like selfishness self-centeredness or we are we look out for ourselves you know don't obviously give away your answer to you know your property because you, know, you know where you're going with it but all right i'm sorry i've kept you over any other questions good questions everyone and thank you for holding my feet to the fire you don't think it's cadence. Cadence, I mean, she's been on it man